Now, we normally do one a week, and instead we're doing two in 24 hours. So, Boris has gone, and what happens next? Welcome to the Lib Dem Podcast. We're back. We should have like some sort of emergency klaxon, but uh, we're doing something a little bit different. But joining me, one of our regular panelists is Laura Gordon. Welcome back, Laura. Hello, it's nice to be back. Nothing much happening. Uh, so, but because it's been an interesting day, we've opened this up to various people, and we might have more people coming in during this episode. But we've opened up, and we've got Freddie and Martin have joined us, and we'll introduce them as the discussion gets going. They can, in fact, they can introduce themselves. But let's start with you, Laura. Let's go on. What has happened today? Okay, so we'll, well, we ran through this because um, before we started, because I'd, I'd kind of forgotten, I'd lost track a bit. So basically, um, we woke up this morning and a couple more people had resigned overnight. Then more of them kept resigning. Um, everybody had to update their graphs with the maximum number of people that had ever resigned. Um, it hit the magic number. I think Martin told us earlier, the magic number in the corner of the BBC's ticker hit 54. So we had 54 ministerial resignations. At that point, I think it became clear that Johnson was going to resign. Um, people kept resigning at that point. So the resignations kept on ticking up. Um, then he came out and made a speech, which I think we'll get to later. But I think my initial thought was, wow. So it turns out that Peter Fleet was not the most graceless public speaker <laughs> that I've heard in his parliament. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, yeah, that, that was my first reaction to it, which is, is, is perhaps a sign that I need to get out a little bit more. Um, and um, then we've had this afternoon this sort of very bizarre sort of spectacle of him appointing a cabinet full of people who sort of 24 hours ago were denouncing him and, you know, have now kind of wandered back into his cabinet. Um, there was also the the sort of shortest ministerial tenure of all time, which was the um, the education secretary, Michelle Donnellan, who was appointed um on Tuesday when um, um, with the sort of initial wave of resignations and then um, resigned herself only 48 hours later. Um, and Zahawi also sort of started, look, called for Johnson to go. So I think that that was the kind of main trigger. Um, but yeah, it's been an absolutely bizarre um, sort of 24 hours. And we now have the kind of spectacle of the Conservatives continuing to argue about whether Johnson should stay on as a caretaker or whether he should go immediately. Very succinctly. I think that deserves almost a round of applause for getting all that in in one go. But let's introduce some of our guests we've got on today. So, mine, introduce yourself to the podcast and welcome. Oh, thank you very much. I'm Martin Boffey. Um, I'm a dist- well, I'm the leader of the Lib Dem group on Horsham District Council in in West Sussex. Your first impressions then of today, Martin? Well, I was just actually contemplating what Laura said about. Michelle Donnellan and thinking about Nadim Zahawi, and I'm just trying to imagine the, the kind of the mashup parody of Craig David's, you know, what you were doing on Monday, <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, but then I stopped thinking about it because it gets a bit weird after that. <laughs> uh, um, but um, yeah, it's it, relief at the end of it. It's still a kind of little bit bizarre. I think there was two, two kind of strange, poignant moments for me out of it, really. I, after he'd finally gone, I went out and popped up popped out for a walk to pick up a couple of bits of something for lunch and I suddenly I felt like I was lighter walking it was like it literally was like some kind of a evil dark spell had been broken and I don't think we're quite there yet but it was quite noticeable 
Now, the other poignant moment was picking my daughter up, um, one of the other parents there. I know he works in the civil service in the department of levelling up. And, and he said, he just looked really, he's a really upbeat guy, but he just looked kind of broken. And, and, and he was just weird couple of days, he says. And I just don't know how how they can carry on like this for a while. And I was just thinking, yeah, you've got, you've got no ministers. You, your department doesn't function. Look at what we've come to. So those were my main sort of two moments out of the day. And also we have Freddie. Introduce yourself to the podcast, Freddie. Thanks, John. I'm uh, Freddie. I'm the organiser in Lewis constituency. I'm one of the very few Lib Dems who was lucky to grow up somewhere where we actually had an MP <laughs> and win regularly um, with Norman Baker. Um, I unfortunately moved away for uni, came back and we had a Tory MP again, though, who was not only a Tory, but in the European Research Group. Um, so I went a few Lib Dems on from Oxfordshire, where I worked uh, in Layla's team for a couple of years, and I had to come back because we just can't countenance having a Tory in my hometown. So what you're saying is that it's your fault because you moved away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of time. It's like like wearing the wrong pair of socks. Yeah, I yeah. just like, I, think, I have to I get back into the regular cycle and, and fair and reasonable. Yeah. So what, Freddie? What was your point today when you thought? Oh, right, he's off. When was it for you? Was it literally just a complete shock? Because, I mean, for Laura or other people that may not have had a chance to listen to yesterday's emergency episode, um, I said that I, I didn't think it was in his character to resign at all. And I think he would... I mean, it, it, was it just the men in grey suits coming and told him, look, that's it? I mean, I people that aren't sort of that political or involved in politics regularly ask me sort of what I think is going to happen. And I keep saying, yeah, surely this is it. Surely Partygate. Yeah, that's it. Sure. And each each scandal, one after the other, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going to happen now. So I've just stopped making any predictions on what he's going to do next because he just seemed completely like he was covered in oil and everything would just slip off him a bit like Trump. Um, but no, today I, I didn't believe it was happening until it's happened. And I still kind of don't believe it's happening. It seems slightly surreal and the whole I'm going to hang on thing. There's rumours that he considers himself a leader, uh, leadership contender. I just, will, yeah, I will only believe it when there's a new prime minister in number 10. <laughs> Hello, John from the Lib Dem podcast here. We are delighted to say that this episode is sponsored by Praetor Reigns. Now more than ever, you need a professional looking online presence and website. Praetor Reigns have been helping Liberal Democrat campaigns succeed for 18 years. Their Lib Dem Foci package combines a website, social media and email system to help Lib Dems win. You'll receive great support from real people, fair pricing and a huge range of features to choose from. Praetor Reigns are already the bespoke developers for Lighthouse, Lib Dem Draw Online and the LD Directory. They combine a talented system design with an unrivaled understanding of our party, our data and our systems. To find out more, check out the Praetorains website at praetorains.co.uk slash liberal-democrats. We will get on to that because I have got Lib Dems who have contacted me saying about, about has he actually resigned? But let's, let's just go back to the, I think the key point for me was, I think, obviously, uh, Zahawi saying on Treasury notepaper, which you'd only just got, uh, saying, actually, I'm staying, you should go, having been there for 30 hours or something like that. But actually, it was the stuff like the Northern Ireland secretary going, and I thought, you know, with what's coming around the corner, you can't have a functioning government. You couldn't even really have a functioning government with the Northern Ireland secretary that arrives like a week 
you know, with a week into the job. The, the, we are in high times in, you know, the constitutional crisis that's going to affect the UK. And having no Northern Ireland minister, having no ministers at all in the education department at all, it clearly wasn't going to last. And I can't imagine what that was like for him. Because I think, Boris, we can go on to the speech if we want about what we all thought of that speech. But I, he just seemed like a spoilt little brat who has never had anyone say no to him in his life. There was no contrition. It was someone else's fault. Talking about herd mentality in Parliament. He does not see... He, he, he's acting like the victim in all this, and I thought it was absolutely atrocious. Uh, what were your thoughts, Martin? Yeah, that was my first reaction to his speech, actually. just No, it, it was bitter. It was just bitterness no contrition um at all and sort of not 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 really knowing what to make of it but he did sort of leave you a little bit daft i mean there's a there's a huge sort of thinking what's gonna happen i mean I, I can't believe it but there, there is sort of a human level that you sort of think when watching someone and uh, nearly nearly every human being it's it's not nice to see them suffer but once you get past that a little bit you just sort of think you still don't get it do you you still don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Laura, is that what you thought? Yeah, I mean, it was, I, I think my, to be honest, I, I didn't watch it all in one go. I watched kind of chunks of it. And I mean, I just find it impossible to listen to. And then the reaction was so bad to it that I thought I'd go back and like actually watch it. And, you know, my my first impression was reinforced. And it, it was just, I think... What I struck, struck me about it, I mean, yeah, the extraordinary gracelessness of it, the fact that he clearly does not understand, you know, does not believe that he did anything wrong. It's, you know, this like, yeah, what's a little bit of light sexual assault between friends, you know, mm. who cares about the victims? They don't matter, right? You know, the victims of COVID too, who cares about them? You know, the important thing was that I got to have my parties. Yeah. Um, it's It was just this, you know, like the rest of the world doesn't exist. So I think there's that, but, you know, we knew that about him before. Nothing's new. It's just that he just doesn't feel like he has to play the part anymore. I mean, I think what I thought was very striking about it, though, is that, you know, it really does not include the word resign. And it, you know, does not include, you know, it, he doesn't talk about leaving. He doesn't talk about handing over power. He doesn't talk about transition. You know, it wasn't, you know, none of that was in there. And you just think, is he genuinely, is he genuinely committed to going? Like, really, you know, if it was, you know, Theresa May, you know, horribly right wing prime minister, Windross Grandall, deported people, ruined people's lives. But, you know, you did you did believe that when she said she was going to resign, she actually meant it and, you know, was not going to cause some kind of constitutional crisis. And like, I don't know, maybe we're all paranoid because of America and January the 6th and things. Um, but, you know, and I don't think that Boris Johnson has a kind of clever master plan to stay in number 10. But, you know, I also don't feel like. I feel like if there's an opportunity to try and stay and extend things, he might well do it. And that speech, honestly, to me, it just it just felt like a justification rather than a resignation. And I, I just think that this has a little way to run yet. Freddie, what were your thoughts on the speech? Yeah, I went in with a bit of deja vu because it sort of feels like all the steps that sort of happened to Theresa May, but almost Theresa May behaved much better at every single stage of it, behaved being quite an apt word, because obviously Boris Johnson does act like a child. Um, but the the... The, he very much felt like I was expecting to have this sort of sympathy that I had when I watched Theresa May's speech because I went in, um, you know, sort of 
critical of her, but she sort of won us over by... I think there was a human element to Theresa May's speech. I think when she broke down crying, saying, this is the country I love, you kind of generally thought she means that. And even though, like, for all the reasons Laura said, that she really was horrendous, uh, both as a Home Secretary and as a Prime Minister, you did feel that personal connection, that it meant something to her, and she wanted to do it well. Whereas Boris, I kind of got the feeling we he he got the feeling that we owe him something. Yeah, and there was two things as well that, that I think were. Yeah, know your place, surf. Yeah. yeah, but she had a sense of duty. Theresa May was really palpable in the speech, and she also, like, I don't think she was exceptional as a prime minister, but she did have something of a vision of what she wanted to achieve um, with the just about managing um, line and things like that. But Boris, it was just clear he flitted from issue to issue. He didn't really have anything that he believed in other than than himself and populism. And that was really evident that he was just performing again. I think one of the interesting ones, because I, obviously I, I've been, you, I've, you listen to a million commentators on a, on days like today, and someone said what Boris was, it was still self-interest in Boris, because Boris needs a career after this finishes for him. And if he try, he, has, he isn't like Trump, well, you, you can have various um, analyses of how rich Trump actually is, but he is not short of money, whereas Boris will want some sort of income after this. He, I mean, Boris is not short of money either, but he's not Trump level of wealth. So, and this is all about: does he, if he trashes his reputation, will he be able to go on the lecture circuit or do whatever? Uh, and it just felt—I I felt I couldn't actually believe it. Actually, he could be so crass. Um, so that then leads on again. The big consequence from the speech was: is he going to be ta- caretaker? Obviously, all the opposition leaders came out and said it is ridiculous for him to stay on what are the thoughts of the panel? i'll go to you first laura with this one um will first should he stay on i assume your answer will be no uh yeah, strongly think he shouldn't i just think it's dangerous like I, I just i don't think we're in a constitutional crisis and i think if we're saying we are we are being a bit hyperbolic but i also don't think we're a million miles from a constitutional crisis and like given that this is a guy who lied to the queen to pro parliament um, to try and get through a no deal Brexit. And that was really not that long ago. Um, you know, I, I just think that the sooner he's out, the better. Um, will they do know, it? Will though? he be? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know. You know, um, Keir Starmer has said he'll table a motion of no confidence um, next week. Um, so I think it has a few different factors. You know, the 1922 committee have said they'll be following the normal. Um, Tory um, selection process, which is a kind of MP stage to whittle it down to two and then go out to the membership who then vote between the last two. Um, And that would take until September. So it'd be quite a long period. I mean, one of the options which was suggested by John Major was sort of cutting that right down so that the MPs choose. You know, if he's going to be out in two weeks, then, you know, fine. There's probably only so much damage he can do for, you know, give carry time to steam all that expensive gold wallpaper off the walls, you know, fine. (laughs) I don't begrudge them to, you know, if if that's what it takes to get rid of them, fine. I I don't care about the wallpaper. Um, you know, can we just go with, before you, before you but, move like on. it, it just, I just, uh, yeah. I mean, I think if he's not planning on, you know, if they're not doing an accelerated process, then, you know, I think this Labour motion is going to be ex- extremely interesting because, you know, do the Tories commit to backing Boris Johnson as caretaker prime minister? If they do, does that mean that he then claims that he has a mandate and can stay on? You know, or if they don't, does that mean that we end up with a general election, or does that mean that the Queen then calls a caretaker prime minister? Um, you know, what happens? You know, question mark. I don't think anyone really knows. 
if if a vote of no confidence happens, I don't know this. I mean, maybe as the organizer for Lewis, you might know this, Freddie. If a vote of no confidence is called by Labour and the Tories lose for exactly the reasons you're saying, does that automatically mean a general election? No. So no. So I've I've been I've been trawling through Twitter and like trying to read some legals on this. And the as best far place as for all legal no advice is Twitter. Clear. <laughs> so no one is sorry, Freddie. I interrupted you. No, yeah. um, so no one is completely clear, and the complication is that. Um, so all of this comes in a thing called the Lassell Principles, which are in a um, anonymous letter from the then King's former private secretary um, to the Times back in the day. And um, from the Crown, yeah. So um, the complicating factor is that those principles were superseded by the Fixed Term Parliament Act, but when that was repealed, it's not completely clear if the previous constitutional position is completely restored or not. So I think it's constitutionally ambiguous, but I think the working assumption is that the LaSalle principles would come in, which basically means that if the prime minister is trying to call an election for self-interested reasons, then um, uh, the monarch can say no. Um, and it is up to the Queen's advisers to then advise her on, you know, take soundings and advise her on who might be able to command the confidence of the House, at which point she could then summon them in order to ask them to form a ministry, which doesn't have to happen, you know, there having been an election. And if you look back, you know, this used to happen a lot. I don't know if anyone else did like A-level history, where it was all like Whigs and early Tories and like all of this. But yeah, like I definitely remember this happening in like the Great Reform Act days where it was like uh, the Duke of Wellington couldn't form a ministry. And so the king summoned Earl Grey and then we got the Great Reform Act. And I think it then happened again with like Melbourne and it didn't work because by then we had like a more democratic system and the monarch couldn't fix it as easily. You do so, know yeah, like, there's anyone really members... for A-level history, do not take my word for it. But I think it was something like that. So, yeah, I, th- a, I think it's a, a little point... bit. Yeah, there was a point at time where the Duke of Wellington was holding all great four great offices of state himself because <laughs> he couldn't get any of people to do so it. So Boris's Johnson well, yeah, cabinet could get around, smaller, yeah. is what you're saying. I think that's it's called the Nadine Dorries effect. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do realise there'll be members of the the Lib Dem Liberal Democrat his, history group going, "What are they saying, these people, to us right now?" So, but but I'm interested, Freddie. Like, say in. Your opinion, because you'll be preparing, given where you are, for a general election that might... Actually, Laura, to fair, is exactly the same as well. Um, preparing for a general election that might happen at any point between now and January 2025. Um, what what are your instincts on this? Again, I, I really don't like making predictions on this because I feel like I'm going to look like a mug whatever I say, even if I'm right. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Um, <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> but the, the, thing, the factor I think that is huge in this is the boundary review is coming in in the summer of 2023. That's incredibly favourable for the Conservatives, um, even, even here in Lewis. Um, we lose a, a load of villages, which have a really close tie to, to the town of Lewis. Um, for a long time, we've been really active campaigners in. Um, and across the country, the Conservatives will be will be better off under that boundary review. So I could imagine a new leader coming in September, having nine months or so to do a few visits abroad, um, a few little trade missions um, and a little bit of, of an agenda, but not enough time to mess anything up on a huge scale and then call it once the boundaries come in. That's it. So, Martin, I mean, I got the impression yesterday when there was all this talk of, you know, after that liaison committee uh appearance by Boris and everyone goes 
is he? How is he going to cling on? What is he going to do here? The Tories seem genuinely worried about a general election this year. They know it's horrendous for them at the moment. It's probably going to get worse as the because uh, the don't forget the next price cap rise on energy only comes in in October but gets announced in August. So they will not want a general election at all anytime soon. I, I just I don't see it. Mind, do you see them going for an, a general election? Um, I think it. It partly depends on on who they choose as a leader, um, and and how you know what sort of start type person. If they go for another chancer, who just has an unbelievable belief in themselves, I think it's going to be a bold move to go for it. And the question is whether they go for the sort of person who believes in bold moves, or whether they want to go for someone who you know actually believes in sound government. Um, you know, be a bit novel, but. Um, you know they, they might go for it but I think, I, i'm struck sort of kind of by having these conversations I, I, i've kind of calmed down a little bit of it i'm not <laughs> a conspiracy theorist on this stuff but I, but I would just like to say look what this man has done to us he has stress tested the convention-based british constitution to destruction right <laughs> can you can anyone imagine having these conversations un, under any other Prime Minister, to the point where we're sort of thinking, well, what might he do? Might he just call the general election? Might he just... any Anything's possible sort of thing. And, and to, he's so traumatised us, right, to the point now where we're talking about... I'm not going to say whether I think he should go right now, stay right now, whatever. But funnily enough, what he's trying to do is actually, for once in his life, the conventional thing to do. And everyone's going, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that is a good point, though, because if we think about it, after Cameron announced, after Blair announced, after I think even after Theresa May announced, they all stayed on to do this kind of transition period. It's just, I think, I think it says something to his character, the fact that none of us bloody trust him to go. Right. <laughs> That's the problem. And like, like Laura alluded to before, will he find some reason, some usually some awful reason you know i find it deeply deeply ugly that every time he's in trouble and actually throughout the day how often have tory ministers mentioned ukraine how often have they used that to prop up their despicable little group of cabinet um and it's felt very uncomfortable to me um but as martin alluded to let, he, he kind of talked about like the next step. Who's coming next? So let's go through these runners and riders, shall we, folks? On where, how we feel these are. Uh, right, first up. Okay, I'm going just down the BBC list here of people who have kind of indicated they might go for it or, or very likely to go for it. Rishi Sunak is the first one. Obviously, he kind of set. Uh, did he go first? He did go just before Sajid Javid, I think. I can't remember. It was only minutes between him, wasn't it? Um, now, for me, as a Lib Dem, and I, I'll go through all to do kind of quick answers, I am not really worried about Rishi Sunak if he does it from a Lib Dem. I think he has got so many skeletons that are now not in the closet and out for him. I think there's enough tack lines for him. And I think he's also tainted by the cost of living crisis. But let's start with you, Freddie. Rishi Sunak, yes, no, don't care whatever um yeah i think you're right i think the scandals will really hit him there was a period where lots of sort of like sensible center center right folk really liked rishi and um i think they've now come over to the lib dems <laughs> yeah. so uh mine yeah i don't see it 
I don't see it happening. I don't see him having a strong enough base either in 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 the parliamentary party or or in the the associations. And I think he's a bit he's a bit of a Theresa May character in some ways, in that they loved him until they got to know him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Laura. He wanted to be prime minister. He should have resigned back when he got the fine. If he had, he'd probably be prime minister by now. He didn't. He's weak. Next, please. Right. Next up is uh, our former Lib Dem uh, Republican and fa- fan of uh, port markets. We've got Liz Truss. Let's go to you to start with. Uh, uh, for, in, in, I think it's an interesting one, Liz Truss, because um, oh, she just feels a bit too Borisy. If that's a, she just seems like a bit of a continuity candidate. What about what do you think about Liz Truss? Uh, sorry, Laura. Uh, so I think Liz Truss is exactly who the Tories would want to have as leader if they'd just lost power in a general election and they wanted somebody to, you know, pep them up for the first uh, term of the, uh, you know, 97 Blair. You know, I, I think she would make a great William Hague, but yeah. you know, Prime Minister, I yeah, I, I, I don't buy it. I, I think that if she were. She's also been, you know, running hard right in order to, um, you know, be competitive as a leadership candidate. She's been the one who's been driving sort of a lot of this attitude towards the Northern Ireland Protocol. So essentially, she's the like more culture wars, please, candidate. Mm. And I think, you know, I think that would be very bad for the country. I think she would prosecute the culture wars more competently than Boris Johnson, which would be very bad for the country. Electorally, it would probably be, you know, good for the Liberal Democrats. But I mean, given that I live here, I, I hope that that doesn't happen. Martin? Um, I can see her getting it. I can see her winning. Mm. Um, because whilst there's she's not currently the top person in the local associations, she has been. And I think some of the she's tested she's been around a long time she's been tried and tested and i think some of the people they think they like at the moment might buckle when 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 they're actually tested and she'll still be left standing interesting yeah, I think that's fair, actually i mean despite the fact that she has um come out against the monarchy when she was a lib dem <laughs> i still think she is the tory's tory um but the politics aside um um, if she if she does come in, let's hope it's a really good uh, time for British cheesemakers. Real champion. <laughs> no, and it is a good point about Liz. She, uh, Liz Truss. She has been there or thereabout for a very long time. So you do wonder if she'll be like just the last one standing, maybe in terms Absolutely. of you get yeah. rid of the extremes and Liz is left because she kind of appeals as a kind of a, a she's a general sort of candidate, right? Uh, yeah, Javid. Me. Maybe it will be her. Yeah, I think I think she'll be in the running, uh, but it, but it depends on which way she goes, doesn't she? She's mm. basically all these photo stunts. Where I know drive people insane and the port market mm. stuff, and this is a disgrace and all that sort of stuff. It was solely to get attention. She knows what she's doing. She's not I, I, well. She comes across as a bit, you know, bonkers. Oh yeah, um, no, she's definitely she's definitely super smart. But, yeah, I, yeah. I, I I think she's playing up to it. But I wonder now that Boris, because she's, as I said, continuity Boris sort of candidate, whether that will hurt her and whether she will start being serious. She'll start playing on um, getting um, uh, uh, Radcliffe released from jail, etc. Whether the things she has actually done, she might try and paint herself as actually personality like Boris, but with a bit of uh, steel in her. 
We'll see. God, yeah, you've convinced me. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, I haven't bet on it. Liz so. Truss, right. new overlord. Sajid Javid, obviously another one of the big two to go. Mr. I've, I loved the cabinet so much I've quit it twice. Um, I don't see... I, I, I think he's a bit of an also-round. I, I think there'll probably be people stronger, but what do you think, Freddie? Um, I, he's one of the ones I'm a bit more worried about. Um, I think he's got quite a good personal story. Um, and he's he does he comes across as reasonably competent. I've got very divided thoughts about him. I think um, I think he's one of the more authentic ones. I think he's got a much higher likability factor. I think he you know he can reach a lot more people than others. So like Freddie, I'm a little bit worried about him. Um, I think he's he stumbled quite badly when he stood last time, but. Mm maybe he's learned from that and maybe he's a bit more ready this time so that'll be interesting to see yeah i think sajid's an, is, is an interesting one um i think he takes he certainly takes a lot of boxes i think he sort of campaigned for remain but he has sort of brexity vibes and so i think i think he could sort of potentially go across the two wings of the party and having not been in government when sort of some of the party gate stuff was happening um, I think he's kind of off scot-free, whereas with someone like Rishi Sunak, you know, you do have to sort of ask questions like, did you not notice when you were living in the flat next door? Yeah. Um, so I think I think Sajid David does tick a lot of boxes. I mean, I think, I suppose with, you know, I, I don't know what he thinks about a lot of issues. And I think with a lot of these, um, you know, I, I think Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, you know, they've been in government in senior positions long enough that we have a reasonably solid idea of who they are as politicians, what their ideas are and what they want to do. And, you know, therefore, you know, if somebody if we're thinking about sort of the next election, whoever the Tories end up picking will be sort of running the country for a while running into the next election. So actually the kind of things like, you know, people won't be making a decision based on their kind of what they, you know, the how they are or who they look like or you know they'll they'll be making decisions based on kind of you know do I feel richer you know how how do I think the country is going and I think with someone like you know and especially as we go through sort of Sajid Javid and into the sort of even less well-known candidates um you know and I think especially at the moment with the kind of key issue being the economy and the cost of living you know, what does, what are Sajid Javid's, you know, he didn't really, you know, I know he was chancellor, but not for really for long enough to do a budget. So I don't really feel like I know what his kind of economic positioning is. Um, you know, I assume he's pro-austerity because he's a Tory, but, you know, how is he a sort of Sunak-like, you know, massive ideologue on it, or is he more flexible? I, you know, and I, I just, I don't know the answer. And I think in terms of their kind of you know, if you think there's a snap, they're going to be a snap election, then the kind of snap judgment becomes important. If you think the election's going to be in a year's time, then actually it's, you know, could they do the job? And I mean, I think he probably could. Would he be any good at it? Well, we probably wouldn't like what he did because he'd be in a different party. But, you know, yeah, there's just so so much lack of information there. And I, I think Sajid Javid's one of the ones where I do have genuine questions about, you know, I just don't know. I don't feel like I know who he is. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because we'll go through we'll go through the the rest of them, um, but also about what it means whether it enhances their chances or weakens their chances whether they were in the cabinet whether they left. And we're going to talk. The next one is uh, is Sahawi, who's obviously been in, out, up, down, well, backed him, wield the knife, uh, and so it's all sorts of. I mean, Sahawi's an interesting one, and he's positioned himself quite cleverly in terms of I back him. 
but writing's on the wall, Prime Minister. So, but how will that play out? I mean, I'll go to you first, Martin, with Zahawi. Now he's in a he's been loyal and then took the big job and then was probably the reason this all snowballed today was probably his letter. Yeah. Uh, not that letter on that paper. Yeah, it was brutal. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Um got to but, use the note paper at least once. Yeah. I know, <laughs> I know, quite. I I don't re- I don't actually know what to make of him. He he seems he seems competent. I mean, it's it's hard to say that because yeah. he's very much he feels like he's very much part of the city hall crowd of the people that that have, that have been with. There's, with, there's with lots Boris, of rumours about Sahawi and his money, though. I the, think, there are. Yeah, I think there's. I think he may have skeletons, uh, and I think the Tories will probably want someone, um, you know, uh, very clean, you know, almost unsullied. Mm. He charged the taxpayer yeah. to heat his stables. Yeah, see, it's just one of those things. What about you, Freddie? Um, yeah, I, I just can't see him getting it now that uh, now that he took that chance for position. Of course, he is Mr. YouGov as well, so there was he the... Uh, and Teletubbies. Let's not yeah. forget his other side. Of what he did found... He is involved with the Teletubbies, wasn't he? So well, that's, that's, that's a good, good, good sign on it. Yeah, he set up... He set, oh, no, he set up selling Teletubbies merchandise. Sorry, that's how he got going. I knew I knew there was something. Oh, that went bit from being quite respectable to a bit weird. Very yeah, that's, right. that's a good point. Okay, let's rattle through... So, this is what one I think will probably, could be there or there about Jeremy Hunt. I, I did. He was one of the first to put it. I mean, it was in the no confidence vote. He was the big gun that said, "Look, it's time, time to say it." So he went early. What do we think? Someone go for it. go on, Laurie. Use Jeremy Hunt. Oh, sorry. sorry I Freddie. think he'll be seen as yesterday's man. I just, I, I mean, he's definitely. He would be a sort of back to the Cameroon. Mm. you know brand of the conservative party but they're not I ready mean, for that I, then laura sorry are they not ready for the uh, a slightly more uh centrist stories? um you know and if you look at sort of the um you know con home matchups and things um you know he's not doing particularly well in the polling i don't think um you know so i don't know you know he ran a leadership campaign before um did better than a lot of people expected um, so you know, maybe he'll bring that experience and run a stonking leadership campaign, but I'm not sure if I if I really see it. Um, and I think also having the kind of former health secretary, um, you know, who was sort of at the time of the when we're having the COVID inquiry, you know, the health the person who was health secretary when we were sort of selling off the pandemic stocks and things like that, it feels a little bit of a hostage to fortune as well. Do you think they'll care? That will that do you think that will matter to people? Um, I don't know, maybe not. Yeah. Um, maybe not. Um, it but, feels like yeah. I, I do wonder, and Lib Dems have got to be careful, and Labour as well. I think Boris going, I mean, we have wrapped so much stuff into Boris, and I'm sure the toys hoping they will tie as much crap around his uh, neck and then throw him overboard and hope he takes it with him. Freddie? Well, the, one th- of the person that things in the pandemic did stick to was Matt Hancock, where he's gone too. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he stuck his name in the ring, though. Yeah. Um, he seems yeah. to score, doesn't he? That um, okay. So, oh, I'm sorry, my uh, Hancock's already said he's Hancock's already said he's not standing. Fortunately, um, <laughs> but um, no one asked him to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jeremy love. Hunt, interesting one with Jeremy oh, wow. Hunt as well. Um, his 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 seat's looking a bit dodgy. So, mm. um, That's a good point, actually. Yeah, 
But the the just the, the the one of the biggest driving wedges in the Conservative membership right now is: Are you a Remainer or are you a Brexiter? Does it's Remain still. That's like that is the the biggest thing decision making factor. I think for someone like Hunt, which is why I just think the membership won't go for it. I think that it depends on what they did since, because we'll talk about the next one who has come out on top, and obviously very local to me. I I've stood against him three times. Is Ben Wallace? So he's now firmly in the lead to take over was an ardent pro-EU Remainer, but then sold his soul as soon as he could um, to actually to back the hardest of hard Brexits. Obviously, ultra uh, Johnson loyalist. The, the Johnson's leadership campaign started at Benzwell's house, so he's got that behind him. Uh, I will say he, he's come across as competent, but he doesn't talk about anything. Nobody knows anything about Ben Wallace. They know that that's a, he, he came across as someone who cares about his portfolio in the Ministry of Defence. He he was still involved in the debacle of Afghanistan, and but I think the Tory. But he's he's got a gaff in him as well, which he he does like to talk off the cuff. So I think Ben Wallace might get it, which will make my life fun. Um, but what are your guys that what are you thinking? Let's go with Laura's or Ben Wallace. Yeah, I, well, I actually had a question for you, John. I mean, do you think he wants it? Because I think a lot of the speculation about him is you know, actually, he seems to really like being defense secretary. Does he want to just stay as defense secretary? I think Ben Wallace likes to play the reluctant hero in my oh, season. No, I don't really want it, but go on then. Yeah, I remember yeah, if you insist, you know, like, and, I, and, I, and I, I've yeah. I, I have a pint with Ben after the hustings we've had. You know, I, he's a perfectly nice guy to chat to. Um, I feel if he got that job, if he if he got within a sniff, and he's clearly manoeuvring for it now, he would want it. And I think that kind of, you know, give it to someone who doesn't want it. I think he thinks that's his best way of impressing. And it seems to be working. He's now, I say, topping the polls for for uh, potential amongst um Conservative Party members. Mine, your thoughts on Ben Wallace? Yeah, I mean, he's he's sort of one of those people I was talking about when I say, well, he's really popular at the moment but with the membership, but what's it going to look like if he's tested? Um, I don't know whether he wants to do it. They say that he's a committed family man and does he want to put his youngish family through it or whatever, three kids. Um, he is a bit gaff-prone. I remember right at the very start of the invasion of of ukraine him saying something about well you know the scots guards won the crimean yeah, war and right. like yeah well yeah. there's only about 100 of them now so um i don't think they're going to stand that much against chance against a battalion tactical group but i don't know maybe they do nowadays it doesn't seem to have worked that well for them but he's charismatic he, though i will tell yeah, you that and, and he's he, he's the interesting parallel actually with me and you there john is that my mp <laughs> is Jeremy Quinn, who's his, like, number two at, at defence. And they're both in this position now of they sort of seem to get a pass from not resigning because because of what's happening in Ukraine. And, and you know, a lot of my members around, uh, fellow members around here locally are sort of saying, well, Jeremy should be resigning. And I, or part of me agrees, but then part of me thinks, well, yeah, but he's the minister in charge of defence procurement. Um, so yeah. a lot of his job is making sure that Ukrainians get weapons. So maybe not not having someone in that job at the moment is you know, not that great an idea. And, 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 and we talked about parliamentary reviews. One thing that happens is Ben Wallace's seat disappears in the parliamentary review. Mm. 
Um, so what will happen? Will he try and think of somewhere like Lancaster, which would be a, a is a much more of a tough fight, or more likely, I wonder if he'll go into Ribble Valley and Nigel Evans will retire. Would seem to be a way to go, but you know Ben's seat is actually being chalked off if the boundaries happen. And I agree with what Freddie said before. I I don't think there'll be an election before those boundaries come in. I just think it might happen very soon after those boundaries come in. But I can see that. What about you, Freddie? I don't know a huge amount about Ben Wallace because he's not massively high profile, which is why I think he's in the running, to be honest, because he's not that high profile. Um, But one probably welcome change would be, I think, the PMQs of Starmer versus Wallace would be a lot more boring, which actually (laughs) probably be quite refreshing. Um, But have a lower viewership. I wonder if um, for Wallace, I mean, certainly, you know, if, if he were to become prime minister, you know, what kind of prime minister he would be would be sort of determined... I think more than most by his choice of chancellor. Yeah. Um, or I should say even more than most by his choice of choice of chancellor. Um, so, you know, I wonder if he would end up with a kind of, you know, almost like a running mate style, you know, would that be kind of part of his, you know, could he make a deal with, um, you know, one of the other candidates to um, make them chancellor in exchange for support? Cause I, I think that that would be a kind of interesting thing. Cause I mean, does he? I, I don't know what his views on on economics are. I don't know. Do you, John, or, or no. does he? I, I don't know. It's never I mean, he's me a fairly internationalist. He's an internationalist kind of guy. You know, this is why I was so disappointed with how he switched after after the Brexit referendum. He 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 proper did a one eighty in terms of his outlook in terms of how we deal with other other countries economically. Um, and he's currently, like I said, thirteen percent. He is one percent ahead of Penny Mordaunt. Now, Penny Mordaunt, someone again, who's I don't think if you are asking people on the street, which isn't the, this isn't the point. You know, the 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 members of the public will not get a say in this at all, and it's just the Tory Party members. I don't. I couldn't name three interesting things about Penny Mordaunt because can anybody else? I can actually. So, um, as it happens, uh, my dad is a member of the Conservative Party. Um, so, you know, whenever I speak to him, I will sort of take the advantage, you know, the opportunity to kind of be like, right, Dad, what are your Tory mates saying? Um, you know, who do you reckon is going to be the next leader? Um, and uh, yeah, my dad and his Tory mates have been sort of going on about Penny Morden for a while. Um, so she has been the kind of dark horse member's favourite for a while, um, which has led me to Google some fun facts about Penny Mordaunt. Um, I think the funnest fact about Penny Mordaunt is that she um, was a magician's assistant for a while. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Penny Mordaunt's an interesting one. She's almost like um, the sort of um, uh, the opposite of sort of some of these sort of who are sort of former Remainers, but with Brexity vibes. She's a sort of Brexiteer, but with a sort of slightly softer image. Mm. Um, nation. Yeah, I think she's got a sort of one nation image. I'm not sure if she is, though. I mean, do you, like, she made that speech at the sort of um, the Carter Center in the US about six months or a year ago, um, which was sort of quite worrying in terms of its content. So I think she is a kind of strong believer in in a kind of hard Brexit and things like that. I don't know. Maybe that's what the Tories want. Um, I, I'd say I'm absolutely kicking myself though, because I um, I told my next door neighbour in 2020 that I thought Penny Morden would be the next Tory leader, um, and at the time she was about 80 to one, and I didn't put any money on it because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and you know now she's at like three to one, and I could have cashed it in, even if she doesn't become. You know I could have cashed it in, and that would have funded my next round of focus leaflets. <laughs> Martin, your views. 
Well, two more fun facts. Didn't she once um, appear in a, a TV diving competition in Splash, Splash mm -hmm. or something? Mm -hmm. And um, she also gave a, once gave a, was it a, a, I think it was in Parliament, a double entendre laced, laced speech in Parliament as a, as a kind of a hazing challenge from joining the Navy Reservists. Mm. So that was <laughs> uh, pretty funny. Oh, well, I mean, like it. Has a, yeah, I think it was a, a speech about poultry, wasn't it? Yeah, well, yes. Um, so, um, but yeah, she's obviously kind of got a sense of humour, but is also up for keeping her side of a bet. I mean, I look for other challenges in leadership, but um, seems to be the hold to her principles, whatever they actually are, but... Yeah, it's, it's been a very long time and, yeah, not very well known, not much of a profile, which depends on whether they want that or not. Now, it is, is it interesting, Freddie, that we just talked about Ben Wallace, Penny Morden, and the next one was Tom Tugendhat we're going to get on to. All ex-military, all fairly under the radar, all doing quite well with membership, all from slightly different sides of the party but still doing quite well. Well, the, the, the Conservative members, obviously... Um, are very strong fans of anybody with a military background, which was one of the reasons I was so happy for us when we selected Richard Ford in the Tiverton by-election because it was outflanking them a bit, which I quite liked. Um, but yeah, it's something the Conservatives like. And to be honest, here in my hometown, um, it's older than the average part of the UK um, and the memorial service is always really well attended. There's lots of, lots of interest in veterans. Those are the kind of leaders that those voters will like having that background. It does appeal to people sort of instinctively. Mm. Um, so they that does worry me. And I also think Penny Morden has the soft appeal to, to the other group of people as well. Um, she, interestingly as well, Penny Morden doesn't have a terrible reputation with them, opposition MPs, because she was often quite good at doing briefings during COVID and actually being quite upfront with opposition. Um, where other ministers in the terribly incompetent government were just basically giving out nothing. Yeah. So, so the, the, I say the, I, I don't think there's much to add from Tom Tugendhat apart from I placed a bet on him in uh, on New Year's Eve, uh, and they're now not letting me cash out on it. So I wondered if I, when they were tripling my money, I do wonder if I should have. But again, I don't know if Tom Tugendhat is too moderate. For did he come to... out in favour of the single market recently? He did, yeah, he did. I he's he, he's a he, he he's classed himself as a. He's more moderate on Europe than Keir Starmer, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. I, and obviously, he did great speak. He was because he was so early in his criticism of Boris Johnson, and he was so early in saying, you know, when Boris Johnson goes, I'm going to be going for the leadership. I do wonder if he's kind of. People went, oh, okay, Tom. Yeah, you know, Tom's in it now because they've got used to him wanting it. So, but again, a lot of this might be down to how well they campaign within the party and oh, what, yeah. and how the first um, hustings go. You know, this is, well, there'll be a televised hustings, and it and you saw how. I mean, what did it do for Rory Stewart? You know, the first one did that, and suddenly thought, oh, hello, well, who's this guy coming out of anyway? Anyway, right. I think I think rightly or rightly or wrongly, he'll get. He would be viewed as, um, well, they wouldn't say it like this, but as the Lib Dems Tory, basically. That would worry me. That would worry me campaigning. I, as a Lib Dem, and, I, and the Tories won't listen to what we say here because the last person that did, he ended up losing his, <laughs> his seat in the local elections, is that I would be worried of someone like Tom Tugendhat because I think that moderate Tory vote that helped us win in these by-elections would be very difficult to keep hold of 
with someone like that. But I, my gut instinct is the Tory membership won't want that. And so, because what the Tory membership want and what the electorate want, I think are quite divergent now. Uh, which brings us on to divergent things, the right-wingers. Okay, so I'll kind of mop these up in... I'll let you do... I'll let you do... How many have we got here? I'll let you do three at uh, one point. We've got uh, Braverman, who's come out, Steve Baker, and Pretty Patel. Not one of them has got a chance in hell of winning, in my opinion. I think they are all... Well, they're basically nuts. Um, anything you'd like to add on those three, Martin? Well, just the fact that this morning on... On the radio, in her first speech, um, Braverman, the one thing that stuck out to me, she decided to have a, to attack um, wokeism and cancel culture, which was just what? Well, you're getting that one in early, aren't you? <laughs> uh, that's just, yeah. I mean, maybe they'll like that, but I just think she would be an absolute disaster. I don't um, think, she, yeah, she hasn't come across as competent at all. No. Even even for Tories, they must think we must have someone better than Suella Braverman. Laura? So I think with both Baker and, I mean, it's the only thing they've got in common, really, but both Baker and Tugendhat, the fact that they've never been ministers mm. is, you know, I mean, traditionally, there are two ways that you prepare to be prime minister. Either you are a secretary of state in a senior role or you are leader of the opposition. And it is a very long time since we have had a prime minister that had not been one of those two things prior to becoming prime minister. And honestly, like... I mean, there are many reasons to question Steve Baker's judgment, but, you know, even with Tom Tugendhat as well, you know, the fact that you haven't done either of those things and you then think you can suddenly step straight up to be prime minister, having never run a department, you know, it just, it raises a serious question for me about, about judgment and temperament um, that, you know, questions their suitability for the role. Um, You know, Steve Baker, I mean, his speech was absolutely bizarre. I mean, it was, um, you know, I've decided that I will be competent and I am the just, I think very, Steve, very Baker started to, Steve Baker started to believe his own hype. I think he's got people from the ERG, of course, who is the, he's he's a member of it. I don't think he's the chair of it, but he's he, I think he he's been involved in it for a very long time. I think he's got too many mates in his own little right wing echo chamber saying, "Oh, Steve, you are yeah, wonderful, you are brilliant." Mad. And actually, and if you look at the, yeah mad. the membership, sorry, sorry, Laura, I was just saying the yeah. membership. He's nowhere near in terms of that side. So I do wonder. And that goes into your question from earlier. How important will the the referendum and the Brexit come into choosing that one? Because you'd think Steve Baker would be right up there. But if well, it wasn't... I, I suspect he's there to, A, get his issues talked about, like they always talk about in the, in the West Wing or whatever and such things. <laughs> and also, B, quite, quite possibly to nobble anyone that the Brexiteers see as a threat from the other side. Mm. You know, <laughs> he's to sort of take out the remainers. But is that a bit like that's what Labour thought about Jeremy Corbyn? We'll have the far left candidate to kind of shake things up and keep them honest. And actually, look what happened, uh, Freddie. I mean, it just it does really just show how sad the situation we're in. That initially three hundred or something Tory MPs get to decide the final two, and then the Tory members get to decide our prime minister potentially the next two years it's a horrible situation to be in the amount of power that they've got that a really selective group like that could just go for someone like Steve Baker because he appeals to them um and the other thing with Steve Baker is um he did he there was a period of time where he was arguably the most powerful person in the country when Theresa May was prime minister he brought her down and then 
negotiated the deal with Farage, allegedly, which saw Reform UK stand down in a number of seats in 2019, including here, um, and arguably changed a lot of the results in that election. Um, but just a note on why I think Steve Baker could do it. I think a, a sort of he's a bit of a palate cleanser to Tories in that Boris has basically got no ideology other than Boris, whereas Steve Baker is very much a libertarian. He um, has Christian principles that he follows, and he's seen as somebody who's quite moral on, you know, following his beliefs. Um, so I, I, I don't think he's in it to, to swing the contest. I think he wants to win. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I'm not sure he's a winnable candidate. Yeah, I, I, I think political parties sort of overcorrect slightly, and I think that there's a little bit of a like, well, we've had big dramatic Boris Johnson. We want someone who's you know boring and safe, and I think that will that will count against someone like Steve Baker. I mean, I also think you know it is one of these where we're sort of constantly hearing from pundits about how important Brexit is, and you know, including to Tory members and so on. And you know, I, I suppose I just. You know, they say that about voters too, but it never reflects what I hear from voters on the doorstep, which makes me wonder how true it is of Tory members as well. And, you know, is it is it one of those where, you know, do they care about Brexit? Well, yeah, they probably do. Are they mostly leavers? Well, yes, they definitely are. But, you know, does that mean that they're going to vote for the most Brexity candidate? I just don't think that follows. Like, I, I think that they will see it as, you know, are they going to want to vote for someone who's going to rejoin the single market? Probably not. But actually... As far as they're concerned, Brexit got done. They're reasonably happy about that. And, you know, they they probably want a kind of safe pair of hands to, you know, embed it and make it work and sort of all of this. So, you know, I would expect it to come up in the hustings. And I would expect it will be an issue. But I don't think I don't think that the membership will be, you know, thirsting for a Brexit ideologue. And I, I do think that it's sort of overstated. I mean, it's one of those where I think it's interesting. It's kind of, um, it's both understated and overstated, you know, understated in that I think the kind of Brexit remain divide in terms of like all of the other things, you know, all of the cultural stuff that goes with that and the kind of other things that you tend to think if you're a Remain or other things that you tend to think if you're a Lever and that that kind of, you know, that's incredibly important and is driving the realignment that is still driving politics and, you know, why we see a lot of these kind of blue wall seats shifting to the Lib Dems. So I think it's, you know, it's incredibly important in the, from that perspective, but actually is it at the forefront of voters' minds, even sort of Tory party members? Like, I just, I just don't think it is. I think they're going to want to, I think ultimately they're going to want somebody who can win. And that means that they'll want somebody who can, um, they'll probably be very worried about the Lib Dem threat because we have shown that we're more of a threat to them than Labour are. Um, and they're more worried about Davy than Starmer, which I think they're correct to be because I think Davy's better. Um, so I think they'll be, they'll be looking for a winner. And I think specifically they'll be looking for someone who can beat the Lib Dems, you know, whether they'll be successful at that is another question. You know, the fact that their, you know, their so-called Lib Dem whisperer lost his seat to the Lib Dems in the county council elections um, is in our favour. Um, you know, on the other hand, you know, there are there are candidates in there that wouldn't be as kind of instinctively repellent to, to those kind of all important sort of conservative Lib Dem switches in blue wall seats. So I, I yeah, I mean, watch this space is watch probably, this space. yeah, and I think listen, thank you very much, guys, for all being on our our second emergency podcast in two days. But I think, uh, can I just, uh, Freddie and Martin, perhaps you should come back when we're when the leader is announced. Let's uh, come back on and revisit <laughs> our comments. And, uh, Absolutely, yeah. Maybe we can all, grade all, I'd say on, 
on, on Pretty Patel, I think is like I think she's neck and neck with Boris Johnson on net unfavorability rating. Mm. So um, <laughs> I, I don't think that's that that's in her stars. And also, not that I agree with her on this anything, but I think she was done for in in the Conservative Party as, as a result of completely failing to deal with the small boats. So yeah. and she's toast. Yeah, as far as I can see, she kept she. We've talked a little bit about What's Liz that? Truss and culture war stuff. Uh, Patel got this is the problem with culture war stuff. If you start spouting stupid ideas and then they don't work or you never actually go through with them, you end up looking like an idiot. And that's why Patel will not win this uh, this contest if she stands. Um, but no, very interesting, guys. Thank you very much for that. We will be back. with. We've definitely got another episode next week anyway, all about election packs. So make sure, because that was our 3,000th uh, Twitter follower chose that as a subject and uh, many of our uh, regulars have very strong views on that so we will do that uh, that is definitely next week but you never know what might happen Johnson might prorogue Parliament or something next week so we might have to have an, yet another uh, emergency episode but thank you very much everyone for listening thank you very much Martin and Freddie for coming on brilliant first time outing on the podcast uh, do everyone make uh, sure you enjoy the sunny weather that is coming this weekend and also, it'll be really interesting for you if, if you're like me and you go out canvassing a lot. I am going out canvassing twice early next week, where I intend to take a little bit of the mood of what because I I'm in a Lib Dem Tory area in terms of my ward. I want to know what those Tory people are thinking right now uh, because it's not what we think. We've talked about what we think these people will be. It's what those moderate Tory Lib Dem voters think because that is the demographic that will decide how well we do at the next election. So thank you very much, everyone, for being on. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. Make sure you subscribe to YouTube. Make sure you follow us on all social media. And we'll be back with another episode very soon.